You're listening to Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince. Every two weeks, they give their thoughts on movies, TV, and anime. trying to clear has consistently been diversity if you look back to the early days of the fantastic four x-men or avengers you will find most characters to be male and white as the years have regressed they've added characters which have diversified comics a bit however there still exists a problem with modernizing canonical characters which have existed forever as by and large straight white males So when Marvel killed off Peter Parker and replaced him with a biracial black Puerto Rican kid named Miles Morales, a lot of people lined up to buy those issues. Now, before we heap too much praise onto Marvel for doing the right thing and course-correcting years of racism, it should be noted that this all happened in a separate alternate reality in Marvel Comics known as the Ultimate Universe. Eventually, that universe crashed into the canonical universe, leaving only ultimate fan favorites alive to tell the tale, meaning Miles Morales remains Spider-Man in modern comics, right alongside Peter. Old-timers like us will always think of Pete as the first Spidey, but here's the wonderful thing about representation in media. There are a number of kids who will grow up having been introduced to Spider-Man by way of Miles. Their Spider-Man is a relatable kid who's gone through a lot of the same issues that they have in their own lives. And if upon hearing that line you think, well, that's how a lot of kids have felt about Peter, then you do understand representation and why it matters. When Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was originally announced, all of us who'd read the comic book event helmed by Dan Slott were quite excited. The event was spectacularly well-written, and even the majority of the crossover titles written by other writers were a ton of fun. Having seen many comic book-to-movie adaptations, we understood that the story would not be exactly as described on the page, which allowed many of us to hope for something completely different. A Miles Morales movie. In the printed series, while he played an important role, he was not the lead character, but for the arcs in his own series. You know, but still one can hope. And in a rare turn of events, hope paid off. And we got a faithful representation of a beloved character presented in an engaging story in an art style that's unlike anything we've ever seen. Basically, this was the creative team. Everyone from producer Phil Lord to co-director Rodney Rothman, both of whom penned the script, saying, we heard you. Here you go. Enjoy. And enjoy we did. Tonight for our return episode, Vince and I are joined by our former For the Lore co-host, Joe and Marty. Joe, welcome back. Marty, welcome to the show. Thank you. I promised not to screw this one up. Lies. (laughs) Yes, thanks for having us back. And thank you, everybody, for listening to the last episode of Popcorn Ronin now. (laughs) Well, the last one he's going to be in, at least. (laughs) (laughs) 
Now, did any of you get a chance to look over the script that they posted on the Sony site? I linked it in our Discord some time ago. I'm going to take that as a no. but I, I've never been a big fan of, like, reading scripts for films. Same. Yeah, it, it's it's a weird hurdle for me when it comes to, to actually reading. It, 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 ta- it takes a special kind of person to be able to, like, look at a script and like analyze it and appreciate it. And I'm not that person. See, I adore it to me. That was, that was gold. I I poured over all of it and, and thoroughly enjoyed it. One of the things that I really like about being able to do that is that it really allows you to get a sense of the intention, the original intention for the film. And then when you're looking at a, a situation where the actors are are allowed or encouraged to ad lib some you can see what then the actors are bringing to the table as well and i know from this well we all know from this from especially from watching Mulaney's interviews who who does spider ham talking about how they were saying yeah go ahead have some fun with it and see what you can you can bring on your own to the character as well and what i especially loved about the script too was reading the enthusiasm from Lord and Rothman because you'd get little bits here and there where they're describing scenes. And when you read most scripts, um, by and large, those sections are pretty dry. You're describing a, a setting or something like that. And you're just kind of putting it in quickly and that's it. These guys are like, there's the, the scene where, uh, Pete and and Miles are in the lab for the first time and confronted by um, Doc Ock, and he sends Miles out of the room and webs the door, saving him, essentially. <laughs> there's, like, either Phil Lord or, or Rodney Rothman. There's a Spidey does this, and this is, way to go, Pete! <laughs> and there's these little things throughout like that where you're getting the enthusiasm from them. And... I read the script after I'd seen the film a couple of times, more than a couple. So it was one of those, you really can see the passion that this creative team had for these characters. And and it made me appreciate it that much more, actually. So I'm assuming everybody saw this at the theater, right? Oh, yes. yes. In Twice. fact, I took my nephew, who is five, and this is the first movie he uh, nice. sat down to see. Very yep. nice. Yeah, actually, it's funny because I watched it once we got the the Blu-ray. I watched it with my grandkids too. So I, I was. It was funny. I've got a picture of it too. Karen took a picture of me with uh, with my grandson on my lap, or he was snuggled up against me, and we're watching Spider-Man. And I immediately, of course, thought of Joe because you were saying how you know you were introduced to Pete via your grandfather, and so that's kind of what I, I I'm doing with mine. So it was kind of fun warms my art actually to hear that yeah so it's i i love that like i said in the intro there how there's an entire generation of kids that are going to grow up and their spidey is completely different and and i i fucking adore that i like again we all have an affection for for pete that can't be taken away but you have to embrace when something new is introduced that does try to course correct. And that is justifiably so bloody well done that, you know, 
support it. Go see the movie. Do everything. Buy the comics. Because Miles Morales as a character has consistently been fantastic, whether we're talking about the comic books, this movie, or the Spider-Man PS4 game, which we talked about at length on For the Lore. Miles' character is outstanding, and that's it's it's a lot of fun seeing him rise to that occasion in what amounts to his own film. And that's, well, I'll take the that thought a little farther, that yes, it's fantastic that Miles is essentially an entire generation's introduction to Spider-Man, but he also serves to bridge uh, another gap. Like, for example, when I went to the theaters, I went and saw this with my fiance. We did it as a double feature because it was essentially a deal. I would go see Aquaman with her if she would go see Spider-Man with me. <laughs> you, you got the short end of the stick on that one. <laughs> because she has always said she was never interested in Spider-Man, be it animated, video game, comic book whichever live action version you want to throw out there. She just never has connected with the character. But then coming out of Spider-Verse, she's like, oh my God, I love Spider-Man now because it's not just Spider-Man. Like you're able to see the the meta idea of Spider-Man and the, the responsibility and those things through the eyes of such a great and interesting character. I was about to say Pete's not interesting. Pete has been interesting for many years but he's there's a a different angle that miles can show people that pete can't and i think that's connecting with a number of other audiences as well outside of just kids and that's one of the thing one of the things i really like with this representation of him too more so than maybe the comics um not to say that the comics are bad but the the way that everything sort of moved into what you see in this movie is sort of like how miles is now in mainstream comic but I like the fact that he is still intelligent, but in a different way to Pete. Like, mm-hmm. Pete was always the stereotypical nerd. He was always that sort of, like, that chemist, that super scientist. Miles is more like an engineering genius, and I think that's really clever that they make that flip. Because, like, to me, that's literally how I grew up. Like, that's what I went to school for. That's what I was. That's what I had a natural, like, inclination towards. And it, it's it's interesting to see that that particular thing represented because even like when you start talking about your Tony Starks, Tony Stark was still super science. It was still that weird, like theoretical physics stuff. Yeah, he had the the machine chops or whatever, but it was more that super science thing with Banner and all these other ones. And now we're getting somebody who's a lot more grounded, and it's really refreshing. Well, it's not just yeah. that; it's also it, it, I think people. Um, especially if you watch the movies, don't realize just how fucking smart Pete is. If you read the comic mm-hmm. books, like he's not Reed Richards level, but he can sit at the table with Reed and understand some of what Reed is talking about kind of thing. Uh, like Pete is in the comics, a very, very, very intelligent person. And, Unfortunately, this was a a product of that time as well. You had so many geniuses in in comics, all of these characters that are geniuses. And it was always one of those things that I felt that whenever people talked about how relatable Pete was as a character, sure, he's relatable in terms of his his awkwardness or different things for because they were trying to hit that that kind of target audience but i i always felt that that tacking that genius on was that way of 
of appeasing to young men that, yeah, yeah, you're smart too. You know, you're really smart. And that's, that's not a reality. We're, we're not all geniuses. Most of us are not. And Miles is not. Miles is smart. Miles is capable. Miles has a street smart that Pete never had. And an understanding about doesn't. people. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> but he's not a genius. And I love that because that also makes him that much more relatable. The, the fun parts of being able to relate to a character is that you, for the most part, you can relate to damn near all of the, the, the aspects of their character, but for these supernatural things that they've been gifted. And he embodies that. So I, I, I kind of feel that moving forward as a Spider-Man for that younger generation, he is going to be that much more relevant for them than Peter was for us. Yeah, I, what I really dig about Miles, both in the movie and in the comics, because I've been reading the comics since, uh, well, before, before the, well, during the Ultimates line, um, is Miles' ability to uh, shoulder the same kinds of responsibility, like a similar kind of responsibility, but the different kind. Like, Peter Parker's one of his defining features, other than being really smart, is this over-exaggerated sense of responsibility, which is like a through line for every single Spider-Man character. Even fucking Spider-Ham has that level of responsibility, but it's just a little bit different. And Miles just takes this um, in such a way that I have been able to... Uh, it's it's reflective of the kids that I have worked with. Um, they make wrong choices for the right reasons to help people out or to escape. And Miles has got this um, this sense of like I've got to do well. Like he's at Brooklyn Visions, which is this amazingly like brand new charter school, and there's a lot of pressure on him to succeed to get out, um, which he is shouldering, and that's a lot for a young man to carry. Um, I adore this version of Miles. I adore. Miles in particular. Um, yeah, I'm very, like, let's talk about how much we all love Miles. I, I can do this. <laughs> Before we actually jump into the, the meat of the, the show, did any of you get a chance to watch this in 3D? No. Uh, no, I can't. They give me headaches. Yeah. See, I, as long as the 3D is well done, I, I dig it now. Because it's not what it used to be kind of thing. So when we get a chance, when I go see a film with my youngest, which is I went to go see this with him, uh, we, we actually try to look for a 3D one because it's fun and, and to see if it's, it's well done. Karen cannot watch 3D shows. So this is our, hey, let's go watch a 3D show. And this was perfect for a 3D to the point where... I'm still pissed that there isn't a 3D version on the Blu-ray because I'd be able to watch it in my PSVR in 3D. And it, it, it bothers me to no end because this was amazing in 3D because a lot of what makes this film amazing is that art style and how much attention is put to every fucking frame literally the manner in which this was framed um the amount of frames per second and everything means that there's uh next to no motion blur unless they actually draw it in for effect and so you can pause and it's a perfect screen cap every single goddamn time so when you are looking at the the introduction of the uh the narrative 
panels that come up when he first when he gets bitten and then starts having those narrative things and they're loud those suckers look like a, a parallax effect that you get in some comic books sometimes where it kind of sticks out so anytime that you saw a narrative box or bubble or any of the text when he's talking or whatever is in 3D and it was glorious it was it was like seeing a comic book come to life like this is my favorite 3d film i've seen in a long maybe ever honestly it was that fucking good in 3d i adored it hmm. so <laughs> i mean it makes me wish i it makes me wish i could watch it because i that sounds dope oh it, like dude it. it was it's again it's one of those things where i don't know if you guys did the same thing but anytime I was seeing a special feature on this, be it on YouTube, Twitter, anywhere, all of the shit on the, the, the Blu-ray, I devoured that. But I, I really paid attention to a lot of what went into the making of it because it was so revolutionary in so many different ways, the animation. And Karen and I are suckers for that. And so when you see that, and then, again, the experience of having seen it in 3D and see how that art style lent itself so perfectly there's there's no other word for it for 3d that i think i think most people i shouldn't say most i think a lot of people who do have a problem with uh 3d might not necessarily have a problem with 3d with this film just because it is a animated and b what is 3d and coming at you isn't really trying to make you sick it's just there to bring the comic to life and then talking about like the the animation uh, technology they used, I actually have a question for you guys because this is something that bothered me, and that uh, they used a different frame rate for the animation of this film than typical for CGI animation. And as excited I was for the concept of the film, knowing what it was based on, knowing who Miles is as a person, I was worried that the movie was not going to do well because the trailers just never looked good to me. I don't know if it was something to do really? with like the maybe just youtube was having a bad time with the frame rate or something like the animation looked really janky on the trailers for me i was worried until like not long before the movie came out it started looking better so i think that was a product of the compression so yeah so what winds up happening when you start doing different frame rates with a lot of this stuff um hateful eight's another good example of it because they had that super 78 Mm -hmm. or whatever it was um when you look at the previews for it on youtube even at like 4k or whatever the because of the different fps it just looks janky as hell and it has like these weird micro artifacts so i did notice that when watching on like uh the advertisements that were coming through like facebook or or youtube or stuff like that but when watching the trailers or anything that had to be done when it was being in an adaptive setting like a uh, you know an actual movie theater right. no problem whatsoever okay so i wasn't the only one i wasn't going insane i no. actually didn't mind the the trailers didn't bother me i i i know what you're saying but i immediately attributed what was bad with it to netflix or not netflix uh youtube compression and not with the film itself cuz yeah the right, film is animated that's something that we can look at knowing a how you know streaming technology works and b still having faith in the franchise, but I, I was just worried yeah, for the public show. at large, how yeah. they were going to react to it. I, and that's interesting. 
but like I was gonna see, take my nephew to see this movie no matter how janky it was. So it didn't matter. <laughs> yeah, the animation is on every second frame, so every other frame. So that's again why you have such beautiful stills throughout. And I mean, they are amazing, all of them. It's it's incredible. One of the, the 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 most telling things for me. And it was before the film even came out that I, I I saw it. There was a clip where somebody talked about what went into literally, I think it's two seconds, of Spider-Gwen drumming. And they they were a, not necessarily, I don't think they were a junior animator, but they weren't a senior animator. But somebody tapped them to say, hey, do you want to do this? Because they knew this person was a drummer. And I wish I had their name, but I don't. Uh, this is a long time ago I saw this. But this person being a drummer was like, yes. And so they devoured everything that they could about Spider-Gwen and her drumming and everything else. And because she was a jazz drummer, they went so far as to make sure that she was holding the drumsticks like a jazz drummer, even though she was actually drumming like for a rock band kind of thing. And those literally it was like a second and a half maybe two seconds of her drumming so much went into that it was unbelievable and so it makes you then appreciate every other couple of seconds in this hour plus long show kind of thing so let's dive into the script and i'm not going to even bother with the the spoilers this has been out long enough if you haven't seen it screw you you deserve to have the spoilers (laughs) one of the things that this film did exceptionally well and and it's funny because we have all as i i think collectively now everybody agrees we're we're done with origin clips stories whatever okay if you need to put something in for the origin of a character you better be original with it and they did that (laughs) <laughs> the the one and only Spider-Man intro for these 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 characters throughout, which of course it starts with what is the Ultimates Universe Spider-Man. Once again, the this is different from the canonical universe at this point. This is the Spider-Man who died in the Ultimates Universe. So he's different than the Pete that you might know, as are most spider people in this if you don't read comics but you again you get the idea but i love the way that they presented it in this this fun hip way that's that's drawing your attention to the the comic book roots and it's not too long it's funny because it also references the movies they talk about that in the script as well too where they want scenes from all of the 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 amazing spider-man movies right to the we don't talk about this part kind of thing <laughs> where they reference that in the script as that part in the movie kind of thing. So everybody knows what it is, but I really dug the way they did the, again, quote unquote origin of not just that Spider-Man, but moving forward, all the other ones too. Well, I like, I, I liked that it was the two minute info dump, right? Like, and that was sort of like the sweet spot because when I was walking out of the theater, there were people that didn't know anything about, any of these characters and every time they had like that quick intro or that quick you know here's my origin in two minutes or less they like they were talking about it at the end like oh okay that makes more sense because same thing everybody even if you're not a comic nerd is just tired of origin story because they take too fucking long and at this point they're they're just 
you know, I, I guess common culture. Like yeah. you know them, you know them. They're popular culture at this point. So the way they did it was fantastic, and and I and I like that sort of that joking nature, that joking yeah. tone that yeah. took with it, which was fantastic. Yeah, if I have to see the Waynes die one more time, oh, I'm going to turn God, into a yeah. masked vigilante. Get used to it. It's going to happen again, I'm sure. <laughs> so then we cut from there, and we do get the intro to Miles, who is drawing and singing badly, <laughs> which I adored. I mean, again, I've I've raised four kids now, so when I see moments where it's not about a teenager being stereotypically moody or angsty or giving their parents a hard time just because they're emo and all of this bullshit. I'm not saying that doesn't exist, but it's so overdone in, in media that it's, it's very annoying as a parent, especially if you're a parent who had good kids that, yeah, they had their problems as well, but I love this. This is a relatable kid. You know, this is a kid that is being, that's going to a school that, they don't want to go to that they feel that they are it's this imposter syndrome and and you see the the relationship like immediately with both the father and the mother in very subtle ways by making it an atmosphere that you can relate to this this mad rush of a morning of getting the kids ready for school and trying to get out and people fed and everything. Again, I did that for years, decades that it's, 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 you see a lot and you can deduce a lot about a family from those moments. And here you see that immediately that strained relationship with the father Jefferson, and you see the, the, the 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 closeness with with his mother and things like that. So yeah, it was it was such a simple little scene and yet said so much about the characters. Yeah, I thought that was really artfully done. Um the whole walking by his old school, talking to the kids, yeah, yeah. being part of the neighborhood. And then, you know, I also loved the whole because in the comics, you know, for a while, Jefferson wasn't around, and he's back, and in the new continuity, he's a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, but in this, he's a cop, which is a really interesting take on on Miles, um, especially now, I find. It remind me, because I haven't read the origin comics in a bloody long time now, but I thought, I know that later on it was discovered that he was in S.H.I.E.L.D., but Jefferson was a cop initially in the comics before he was... I thought he had been killed. Nope. No, he was not a cop at first. That was a re- that was uh, they retconned that later. Okay, man. So that's, that's yeah. why I liked that more because I think originally his dad had died, but he was a street hustler. So they separated the character of the sort of the the uh, the apotheosis of that character became two different characters in Miles's life, as opposed to the one which ultimately wound up being better. Yeah, because I was never crazy about him dying in the comic books because it was yet another your it's parents died trope bullshit. So yeah, I I wasn't crazy, and it's not like they strayed too far from that either with Uncle Aaron, 
but it was different enough that you're going, okay, yeah, this is this is much better than the original way. And especially having played the the PlayStation 4 game where Jefferson plays a, a bigger role. Yes, he gets killed off. I'm not going to say spoiler for that either because that game's been forever. Another one, if you haven't played, play that fucking game. Um, but he gets killed off. But before that, you really get to to feel the importance of that character enough so that you you kind of wish they had kept him alive to be an influence in his son's life. But not just to be an influence, but at times a foil. Because it is when Miles is kind of trying to to be independent, to be his own man, he is going to butt heads with his father because that's what we all do as we, we grow up. So I, I much preferred how they did it in this. In fact, I would go so far as to say, again, this was so far from what I, I, I've seen, the, the best representation of that character. I also just enjoyed the fact that it was so relatable to like from a, a purely selfish perspective the dynamic that plays between like the mother the father and miles is so well done so perfect and so relatable because that's i mean for me that that's that hits home but it's that strict and loving father that that sort of that line in the sand and then the mother who you know gives him a little extra leeway but still is hard on him in her own way uh, and then the, I like, would not cross there. her. Let me tell you. Oh, hell no. I would cross Jefferson long before I'd cross her. I have a healthy yep. fear of the chancla. <laughs> <laughs> but the, 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 the interesting thing with that too, though, is, and like Marty brought this up, each of them has their expectations for miles. Uh, and it, it's in their dynamic in their relationship dynamic. It's there. It's very apparent. Yep. And that's what I love about it. And it's, and going back to something you said earlier a little bit that I, like one of the reasons why I like this so much too is because the weight of responsibility for Miles wanting to do the right thing isn't based in tragedy. Uh, it, it happens before the tragedy ever occurs. It's just his core value. And I really enjoy that because really up to this point, the only inc inc incarnation of a Spider-Man ever whose motivation wasn't tragedy was what we were talking about earlier, which was Spider-Man. She literally is the only incarnation besides Miles that wasn't rooted in tragedy. I don't know enough about yep. all the spiders to say that, but I, I believe you. Yeah. Ironically, they kind of poke fun at that later on too, saying that, you know, if anybody understands when Miles is going through it, what he's going through, it's them, maybe only them because they've all experienced huge losses in their lives. So yeah, I I really really loved the the scene. Again, it's it's funny that in a movie that is so action packed that has so much going for it, it's those quiet moments that tell so much about the characters and about their lives and everything else. When Miles is being driven to the school by his father in the squad car, which was funny as hell too when when he gets picked up you get so much more, even more than their little interactions at home. Now you're getting to see just how strained that relationship is. And that's important moving forward. But you also get um, a lot more information by means of just, just again, a throwaway line about 
Uncle Aaron, Jefferson's brother, because he plays an insanely important role in Miles' life in a variety of ways. And so when you get Jefferson saying we all make choices in life, you know that carries weight, especially because he's now a cop. So it, it speaks to what he thinks about Aaron. And whether Miles likes it or not, that's going to influence what he thinks about his uncle as well. He'll certainly make his own opinions, but that will still have an impact in how he sees them. So all of these little moments are so spectacularly well-written that you can enjoy those quiet moments as much as you can the insanity of the web slinging through towns, you know, when he's hooked to a fucking subway kind of thing, the train. So it's it's it was very, very well done. And another small thing I really appreciated was between like the walk and, and the car ride it gave us an understanding of the geography so that because throughout yes, the film yes. miles goes back and forth from home to school several times and so it recognize the buildings yes and not only that but it gives us that sense of like okay yeah it's possible that he can do these things you know just referencing you know game of thrones and its later seasons where they started teleporting across oceans in half an hour so that was a nice appreciation as well as then the juxtaposition when he goes to peter's house and you see how much different that neighborhood is just visually and it it it, it's another one of the very small minor things that really helps make this film be as as successful at telling its story visually as it was. And then we get to Visions Academy. Now we're going to we're not going to spend too too much time here because frankly it's the the story kind of breezes through there to to get him out, especially to to get him to Aaron's uh, at that point. But Visions Academy is is important because of a couple of reasons, not the least of which being that's where we first see Gwanda. <laughs> who she's first introduced as. And you also get to see this incarnation of Doc Ock, which is far different than the norm, and I adored it. And she is actually on screen in a science class when he goes in. And she's, again, there's a lot of meta going on in this movie. So you got to pay attention to everything that's going on. So you have her talking about every choice that we make would create countless other possibilities. Like she's laying the groundwork for a multiverse right there. And there's a nice little nod to a quote unquote, a what if to infinity, which is of course the Marvel shows the or series you get often the what if. So the, the, the school stuff is cool. And we're going to get back to that later when again, he goes back to the school, but here again, we get to now meet Aaron where he's going to hang out at Aaron's because he can't concentrate on schoolwork and he needs to relax. And once again, it's telling of who is important in his life. And when he is feeling incredibly stressed, which this school is a school for gifted kids. He, 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 he won a quote unquote, a lottery to get in, but it was based still on Marx. He deserved it, but it's a school for very gifted young individuals. And so it, there's a lot of pressure on, and you get that at the school as well, where again, all of the books are thrown in and, and the scenes are cut very tight, very well done. So then when he needs to, you know, get that out and just kind of remember who he is, he goes to Uncle Aaron's 
and he hangs out with him and he he makes weird farty mouth noises on the glass and and he allows himself to be a goofball and have fun and that interaction with him from the punching the punching bag to the shoulder touch hey which becomes a meme at that point and throughout the, not just the show but for everybody in general um it it was very very well written and like I, I again the acting throughout is spectacular there there's honestly no point going back to the the acting and saying how good it is it just is so always assume that's what i mean but in this case here the writing is so well done because again it shows us just how vital how important uncle aaron is to miles and of course that's going to be ridiculously important later on as well and then from there we are going through the the bite because it leads us to the um the spray painting in the back of the sub area the subway area where miles did a contracting job which leads beautifully into the stuff going on with fix fisk later on but that montage of doing the 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 tagging that blank wall a the tag was gorgeous <laughs> like when you <laughs> when you look at what he what they did there it was just absolutely beautiful not just in terms of the aesthetics of the piece but what it says about miles trying to find who he is amongst all this noise and it led so beautifully into the spider bite, which is handled better than I've ever seen a spider <laughs> bite. Like you're waiting for that crescendo and it's just slap. And it was like, oh God, that was funny. Like, <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but that was the, the, the theater erupted at that point. Yeah. As, as someone who's not a big fan of spiders, I was kind of dreading that moment. <laughs> and that was a great way to break the tension. Yeah, it was, I, I liked it too, also because, again, there was a certain levity to this film that, you know, and I'm not saying it because, oh, it was targeted at kids. No, it was, it, it played with sort of the lightness revolving around what would normally be tropes at this point. And the spider bite is a trope at this yep. point, is, you know? And so, like, the way they played it off, the way they, they, they it, it, in that moment, it was like, this isn't the most important part. Get your heads out of your rears and look. It's like, yeah, it's a spider. He got bit. Big whoop. He's still the same person. Now he can just, you know, turn himself invisible. Get yeah. on with it. Dude, and being, I love that. Being love bitten that. by the spider is not what makes him Spider-Man. And that's the yes. entire point of right. the movie. Yeah, well, see, that, this is something that we talked a lot about as well. I'm going to keep referencing it just because, A, the game was so well done. And because it was, it was very well written as well. In the game, we talked about this in terms of the Miles stuff. Because a lot of the stuff that you do when you are controlling, playing as Miles in the game, he actually doesn't have his powers. And you realize very early on how they're writing it is that Miles was a superhero long before he got his powers. And I was very happy to see that, again, he's a good kid, a smart kid, and you get that long before he was bitten, so that once he is bitten, you... you yeah instinctively know he's going to be one of the good ones. He's going to be a superhero that's going to have heart and do everything he can to save other people because that's his character. So then moving on, they did, though, the the traditional wake up and things are different kind of with the puter, puberty and the, the effects of the bite. 
but once again done in such a way that it was it was clever and fun. And this is where those 3D, the, the, that 3D effect really came alive. Because this is where he's saying, why are the thoughts in my head so loud? And they're in 3D coming at you on the screen kind of thing. And it was done in such a way that it was absolutely hysterical. From the moment he's shooting the breeze with, with, with Genki, <laughs> which, yay, Genki made it as well in there, uh, to when he's at school and feeling that everybody is concentrating on him and things like that. So it it was taking that trope, but making it funny, a little bit original, and something that you can really have a lot of fun with. Before I forget, going back though, you said something, Joe. Do you actually feel this film was geared towards kids? No. Yeah, okay. I don't. I just want to make sure, I think, yeah. I think this was specifically made in such a way to capture as wide an audience as possible. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's that's my... See, I it's funny because... Um, it's for me. It's kind of the 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 flip side of the old Looney Tunes, where they were made for kids, but enough raunchiness and weirdness and things was was thrown in for the adults to also be able to enjoy it. But this is to me the flip side of that, where you have a film that was, I feel, by and large, made for adults actually, um, but with enough relatability and enough um, not relatability but done in such a way that still kids could also enjoy it. Like my grandkids watched it with us and adored it. We did not know how much they loved it until I started getting texts from my daughter telling us all they are saying is mom put on Spider-Man mom. Can we watch Spider-Man? We want to watch Spider-Man. And then she's like, I don't own the movie. And, and so, yeah, I gave her the digital one that came with the Blu-ray, but, um, but yeah, it's 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 done in such a way that I feel it's actually for adults, but presented in such a way that even kids can enjoy it as well. There are a handful of scenes where Shannon is nudging me like, check on your nephew. He's too young for this. I'm like, he's fine. He's totally fine. I was too busy watching the movie, but he didn't freak out. He was totally cool with it. And like your like your grandchildren, Roger, he went home and told his uh, dad, mom, and little sister about how awesome the movie is. <laughs> and now the little sister wants to go see a movie, and so we're excited for that too. Yeah, I. Uh, it, it was funny because it was essentially the same thing, except for me, it was Karen was going, "Are you sure this isn't going to be a little too much?" And I was saying, "You know what? Like, kids will latch onto anything to be scared about." I mean, our youngest was terrified uh, of uh, Ursula in The Little Mermaid. And so if if you can look at a Disney show that the villain scares the crap out of a, a child, then, I mean, it can be anything. So I was not concerned in the least about this, and, and justifiably so. The kids loved it. So moving on from there, we have now... Miles is going back to the subway subway after after a horrible shoulder touch gone bad with Gwanda <laughs> where his hand sticks to her hair. Oh my god. <laughs> that scene yeah. got the longer it went on and the more awkward it got. The better. I don't think you know what puberty is. <laughs> 
but yeah, from from that insanity to him trying to figure out what the fuck is going on here and going back to the subway, which of course leads to the Alchemax lab. And that's where shit is going really, really bad here for the Ultimates Universe Spider-Man, who is fighting in there trying to stop Kingpin from opening a portal to another dimension to basically snatch another copy of his wife and son who died in this universe. It's complicated, but it's comic book complicated, so it makes sense kind of thing. And you also get to see, and this is where I, I really loved it because... It created an original, it, it, the, the show had a, a lot of originality that for the the average moviegoer that is just watching the movies and not reading the comics, they're like, hey, I really like the spin that they put on all of these characters and all that, not realizing that, you know, Green Goblin in the Ultimates universe wasn't the normal Norman mm-hmm. Osborn, but this monstrosity of this giant beast kind of thing. So when I saw that, I was excited. It was like, oh, I'm so glad they brought that in because it presents a foil for that Spider-Man that it makes sense how hard this character is for him to be. This isn't just a a, a quote-unquote somewhat super-powered guy throwing you know, pumpkin grenades at you. This is a massive 25 foot fucking oh, monster, monster trying to kill you. Yeah. And I like I like that because one of the things that, how do, how do I phrase this? Classic Spider-Man has a nasty tendency uh, almost to fall into uh, what I call Batman villain syndrome, where a lot of them tend to be just the same. They're, they're men, but they're monsters. They're, they, they, generally fit that frame with some exceptions but over the years like that's been the bulk of it and when you get a character like this that's just so monstrous so disproportioned so out there it's fantastic because it's just it's outside of that norm and it does a little bit more to separate this particular you know movie universe from what you know of the character and it's it just subverts that expectation and in the scene, we do get, again, we see that it's not just Peter going up against this Green Goblin, but, oh, no, the Prowler's there as well. And it makes it that much more difficult for him. And then you throw in Kingpin as well. Which, What did you guys think of this representation of Kingpin? I loved it. I loved it. And I specifically referenced it in uh, the notes while we're recording. It is, it's riffing off of Bill Senkevich's iconic drawing yep. of uh, the Kingpin, where he's just so massive and imposing and terrifying. And, and weird, but imposing and terrifying. I was just so excited. I, was, I almost tried to explain why that was awesome in the middle of the movie. My wife... <laughs> And I caught myself, I just like, I said, and then just like took a gigantic handful of popcorn. I was like, nobody needs to know about Sinkevich right now, but when they're done, oh, they're all going, and they're going to know. The scene of him walking towards the, the, the front panel, clicking his pen, and that doobie-doo, doobie-doo, watch out, here comes the Spider-Man, <laughs> was yeah. perfect. 
It literally could not have been recorded better, in my opinion. It was just fantastic. So then you get, again, you 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 see it all turn to shit, of course, and you see Spider-Man doesn't exactly um, stop it per se because he, he's he's fighting Green Goblin. He's, he's nearly thrown into, well, he is kind of thrown into the beam. It, it shit turns real bad. And this is basically the, the start that explains why these other spiders are coming into this universe. So because Kingpin was trying to bring his wife, uh, Vanessa, and his son, I think it's Richard, uh, to this universe, but it got screwed up because... Green Goblin was shoving Spider-Man and through comic book logic that means that it messed with other spiders in other universes and they really tie in nicely to again as an attention to detail you're seeing the the panels behind them that's talking about the various universes and it's using the the code numbers that you have in the actual the, the actual comics and things like that and it's showing which ones are going to be colliding into that universe so you kind of have an idea of of who's on their way over and and it, it was it was very well done in that regard so that you're you're prepped you again we if you went into this blind you kind of have an idea of where things are going to go, especially when you're getting the insanity around town with everything kind of glitching out as well. There's a lot of legwork, a lot of prep work that's done so that by the time those other spiders are in that universe and by the time they're glitching out and you're seeing all these things that's been built up so much that that's the ticking clock. That's the, they got to get out soon or they're going to die and they establish it so well with that 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 glitching out kind of thing that you're you're like you're feeling that pressure of they need to get out of there now and it's and and it and it creates it creates a type of foil for the characters that the writers can use that makes sense as well they're doing a little too well in a fight glitch out you know this is going a little too well glitch out and it makes sense in the story and it serves as that halt for the character so that this journey isn't too easy for them because nothing's ever easy for spiders. So from there now we have the death of Spider-Man. So this was something that was in the comic books again in the Ultimates universe, like I said, and it was a huge thing. Even though it wasn't the, the canonical Spider-Man the Ultimates Universe Spider-Man had been around for actually a, a, a few years. I don't know exactly how long, but it had been a while. And At least five. Yeah, and it was, it was well-received. Like, there was a lot of bad in those Ultimate Comics um, for other characters, be it the X-Men or the Avengers. It wasn't all, it was hit or miss kind of thing. But by and large, Spider-Man was really good. So when they were closing down that, collapsing that that universe and and that pete was gone it actually was sad and it was done it was done so well in the comics that i got no problem saying when you see some of those scenes in the comics where it's the funeral scene which we see here in the movie as well where you're seeing the masses of people at the funeral, you're seeing MJ talking in front of the cathedral and things like that. I can't remember if it was a cathedral or a church. I think it was a cathedral. It was um, the main cathedral. Yeah. 
it, it, it moves you. Like I, 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 my eyes watered reading the comic and it was just as well done in, in, in the movie, especially because right before then he buys his suit. And of course he buys it from Stan and Stan recently passed. And that is still a fresh wound for a lot of us. Uh, I recently yeah, watched, I recently oh, watched Captain Marvel I hadn't seen it at the theater, so I recently watched it. And that intro, where it's all stand, like, I shed a fucking tear. Like, it was like, oh, my God. So when you see him in this, and it was, again, that was even closer to when he had passed, it was impactful. And when he's saying how much he he knew him and, and he was a friend kind of thing, and you go, oh, my God. So then by the time you get to the funeral... Oh, it, it it was well done. It was well done, and you really felt that death. And then, of course, you have Miles feeling that he is now the new Spider-Man. And I, and I like that little thing at the cathedral, too, where he's like, they're counting on me. And the guy says, probably not you specifically. I think it's a metaphor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it, it sets it up for what's coming, and what's coming is Miles becoming Spider-Man. And so... It was set up before. He's got the dongle, and he's got to be able to um, to take care of this, but he doesn't quite know how yet. And, of course, he goes to Pete's grave at night to, to apologize that he doesn't feel he can do it, and that's where he meets older Pete from the other universe, yet another universe, which Stand turns it to, God, such a fantastic fucking scene of a Peter being yep. abused in a way that we've never seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the this the 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 gravesite confrontation between the two of them was absurd would be kind of an understatement. <laughs> Listen, uh, all I know is that moment when he accidentally electrocutes him, knocks him out and then has to figure out how to get him the hell away was yeah. the best sequence ever. Ironically, there was another uh, Stan Lee in that as well. That that was one of the things they well, talked apparently about. Apparently, there's Stan Lees everywhere. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of Stan Lees, but he's one of the ones that walks over them while they're laying on the street after after falling off. So, yeah, you get a lot of, of really cool stuff happening, happening right from the get-go with Peter B. Parker, who is basically... Like, I mean, this is a Miles Morales story, definitely. But of all of the spiders that show up later on, he's the most important and the one that kind of mentors Peter. because Or not Peter, sorry, Miles. Because that's what the the other Peter, there's a lot of fucking spiders here, so deal with me, people. The original <laughs> Peter from this alternate universe was supposed to be teaching Miles how to be a Spider-Man. He Before he passed away, he told him he could give him a hand with that if he wanted and help him out because... You know, he he understands what it's like. That was a really, really nice touching moment as well. So when he passes away, of course, or is killed, I should say, Miles really latches on to this other Peter that comes, who is older, much more experienced in what it's like to be a Spider-Man, and has kind of... Well, not well, given up, but really he's he's a real character, like in so many different ways. Well, his life went to shit. Yeah, That's what Spider-Man I mean. It's real. We can relate to. Exactly. <laughs> just... 
every, every Spider-Man from six one six. That's that's who he is. Like everything that happens to him is something that is relatable to us as human beings, non-powered human beings. Like the everything that goes bad isn't the fights because he keeps talking. They all do about you get up every time you get hit. It's not that that knocks him down. It's it's his failed marriage to MJ. It's 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 these these discussions about children and whether he feels he could be a good parent and things like that. Like all of these real things that we grapple with throughout all of our lives is what crushes him down, not the villains, not the, the superpower. And, and it makes him a much better Spider-Man, much better Peter Parker to be mentoring miles moving forward. Even though he like, he doesn't want to, He's kind of almost blackmail guilted into it by Miles, but he he winds up being a much more positive influence on him moving forward because of that. I like that too. I like the fact that he, the reasoning why he doesn't want to do it, right? Because he's looking at his life and how it fell apart and he's just like, this is just going to happen to this kid. I can't let this kid go down this road. I can't let this kid have what happened to me happen to him. Like it, it's not, it's not entirely out of this pure, like I'm a terrible person. It's he's still trying to do the right thing or what he thinks is the right thing just through a different lens. And it's because again, he's coming from that life that just fell the fuck apart. And he's like, being a superhero sucks. It totally sucks. I live in a shitty apartment. I eat weird pizza. I'm fat. I'm like, I don't even have pants right now. And this kid wants to be Spider-Man. Like, I, I I appreciated that. I appreciated that that initial blush of kid. I'm trying to help you by not helping you. What I liked about this too was that it gave us another scene that really showcased the artistry of the writers and directors and and, and creators. Because and, and this was in the script as well, where they were saying the the, the note was. Rest of the scene staged like a classic New York City movie, quote unquote, walk and talk, but it's vertical. And one of the participants hasn't learned to walk yet (laughs) because there's that scene where they're walking up the walls outside of the building, going to the roof. And Miles is still figuring out how to cling to walls and things like that. And that's just how to cling, how to release. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a... Yet another. How do you r- relax, kid? Yeah, <laughs> all that singing. <laughs> but yeah, it was. It showed originality while paying homage to classic cinematography, which again shows artistry in animation beyond a lot of what we see. I, I, as I was watching it, as I was reading the script, as I was listening to all the commentaries and whatnot. What really the the analogy that I made, funny enough, wasn't to North American animation, but Studio Ghibli stuff, because it's the equivalent of the spirited away when she taps her toes, when she puts her shoes on those little, little things that Miyazaki knows how to put in a show uh, in a film so that even though it's animation, you see yourself in it. And that's what I felt here, that 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 really the attention to detail and treating this with a lot more reverence than than maybe some other animators do. 
And, and I adored that. And then you have, of course, a diner scene as well <laughs> where they're talking <laughs> about how they're going to get to Alchemax Labs and, and, and how they, they, he can learn to swing on the way. And, of course, that doesn't happen. But kind of uh, happens. Well, later on, later on. But I, I, I'm, I, again, it was, there are so many scenes in this movie where your expectations aren't met, but it's glorious. Because instead of getting the, okay, I'll teach you how to, to web sling, and there's, there's something that happens on the way to the lab, which is out of town kind of thing. No, it cuts to them in a bus. You know, and all of these kind of things are, once again, relatable to us, non-powered human beings. So it, it made for a fantastic scene. And then once you get to the lab, of course, you get a lot of funny, quirky things. Like when he breaks the rock and it's like, that's new. And you get the moments where you really get to appreciate the relationship between this Peter and and Miles, especially that when Miles dives in after him and and comes up butt to butt, head to butt with him, and and Peter is saying, like, you know, most people want to want him to die. This is a nice change of pace that you want to make sure I don't. You get these really nice warm moments between the characters that I really dig. I like it too because it shows sort of the re-evolution of that Peter, of Peter B. Parker from, you know, a guy who's given up to a guy who buys in again. And yes, that's something yes. Over time, slowly over time yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And it's not, and it's not because of any grand gesture and it's not because of like some super heroic moment. It's all these little things that keep adding up and adding up and adding up. And, you know, you have those scenes with him even after that with like, the scene Mary Jane at the dinner for oh, uh, dude. That, that Fisk is throwing <laughs> to honor Peter Parker, not Spider-Man to honor Peter Parker with all these uh, waiters and waitresses dressed up like Spider-Man. But like that scene where he like sees her and breaks down and has these realizations again. And it's like, you get to see him sort of pull himself out of his darkness. And I really appreciate that. Like on a personal level, as somebody who struggles with anxiety and depression, you know, in a healthy case of imposter syndrome, sometimes it's nice to see somebody who's got their shit not together, you know, pull themselves out bit by bit and not with this like grand thing that'll never happen. But you can start seeing like these little bits of foundation being laid and all the little ones like Miles doesn't know he's doing it. It's just these innocent comments, these innocent questions. And it's, it was so refreshing. Like every single time he got more human, I definitely teared up. Well, the as, thing as too, much, as much as the movie is about Miles learning how to be Spider-Man, it's also about yes. Peter learning to be Spider-Man again. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, not just to be Spider-Man, but to want to live, to want to help, mm -hmm. to want to do all these things, not just to as Spider-Man, but as Peter as well. And to, to actually do the thing instead of just showing up to work every day. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I, I love the, the, what was it again? Why did I get stuck with the janky old broke hobo Spider-Man? <laughs> <laughs> so the reveal of Doc Ock. Loved it. Miles Morales, Doc Ock. I was like, I was really surprised and, you know, like that they actually did it. I didn't think they were going to add another villain. And if they did do it well, 
and just their take on Doc Ock was so perfect for this movie. I had to resist clapping in the middle of the theater. <laughs> oh, I was so excited. Oh, me too. Like, I, I didn't even, I, I freely admit that I even screamed, hell yeah. <laughs> like, because, okay, the, the, the Octavius of what, Ultimate was what, Earth 1610? I think so, yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, he was just more of the same, right? Like, he wasn't, wasn't anything special. He just had different arms, right? And here, it's just like, no, screw your expectation. It's, you know, not just old white man. It's crazy white doctor lady. And it was so well done. I think my wife leaned over to me and said, like, of course, we sh she was a villain. She's a white lady with dreadlocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love the line from May later on. Oh, she yes. shows up there and oh, it's like, great. oh, great. It's Liv. <laughs> oh, you know, and it's like, that, 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 that's, it's again, it's those little throwaway lines that you're going, what, what happened there? There, there's history there. I want to know what the fuck happened well, between her Liv and May. Call her Liv. I know. That's what I mean. <laughs> I want to know what happened between her and May. That's got to well, be a fucking interesting story. Well, th that was an interesting thing too, right? Because in the ultimate line, if I remember correctly, like it's been a while since I've read the original original run of of Ultimate Spider-Man, but like Uncle Ben and Aunt May were just still Uncle Ben and Aunt May, and then we didn't start getting like the secret agent Parkers until like way later in yeah. the weird spinoffs. And here it's no, there's more to May and probably uncle Ben than meets the eye because even when they go and find her, when they go and find this universe's aunt May, she's a genius. She's smart. She's a scientist of some type. You don't know the extent of it, but like she's bloody fucking brilliant. And I don't know about that. They don't say that. Yeah, yeah. she helped make the... She's uh, the one that fixed the spudger. No, she didn't. They made the goober? Of it. Yeah. No, she didn't. It was uh, Penny who fixed the goober. She was made it Penny? Penny... No, it was Penny who made the goober. Absolutely. But <laughs> May is the one that made the, um, the, the, the web slingers for... And the suit. For... Well, not the suit. He spray painted that himself. But she made the web slingers for him. But again, that's just a diagram she could have followed. I don't know about the genius part. I'm, I'm not going to argue. Let's put it this way, though. This Aunt May is pretty badass. Let I me, fucking okay. loved her. I, I, and I, best <laughs> voice acting choice for her, too, Lily Tomlin. I adore oh, that. Yes. Thank you. I was like, somebody's got to fucking mention Lily Goddamn oh, Tomlin my God. being Aunt May. I was so disappointed that in the special features on the Blu-ray, they talked to a lot of the actors and showed the behind the scenes as they're doing things. Nothing on Lily Tomlin. I'm going, you fucking bastards. Like, she was so Well, didn't so she good. immediately start working on Toy Story 4, like, right after they were done with this? I don't know. I don't know. Well, she's also been working on the um, Grace and Frankie as well. Frankie and Johnny. Grace and Frankie. Grace and Frankie. Which is a freaking yeah. brilliant show. If you've never watched it, oh my God, is that ever a good show? <laughs> but anyways, I digress. Yeah, she, the introduction of her when they all go to, we're going to kind of skip ahead here, yeah, when the, the various spiders have, have, no, at that point it's just uh, Peter, Spider-Gwen has been introduced because she was at the Alchemax when they were escaping, which was fucking brilliant there as well. But before we move on from Alchemax, can I just, one quick go anecdote. For it that the scene of Peter and Miles escaping through the forest has ruined Spider-Man for me forever. 
<laughs> playing the Spider-Man PS4 game and web slinging around New York, all I can do in my head for hours is thwip and release. release. Thwip whip and, and release. release. Every single time. I've been teaching my nephew things that uh, superheroes say to get, and it was until that scene he was unable to do thwip. Like it just was not. He was he's got a speech impediment, but he was also not getting the hand gesture right. But then, like after the movie, he was like thwip, thwip. Like in the car ride home, everything was thwip. So while it may have ruined Spider-Man for you, Vince, it it made it all the better know, for you. My re- well, my retirement set, guys. This kid's going to love comics and is going to love his Uncle Marty who will feed him all the comics he needs. So this is good. Awesome. Yeah, the the scene with this Doc Ock and this Peter and the escape and everything, yeah, I'm kind of glossing over it just because we've been at it for an hour and ten minutes. It, it was brilliant. It was absolutely fantastic. The the animation, the action going on here, the good news and bad news, you don't need the monitor, you know, all these throwaway lines. <laughs> yeah. The thing with the bagel, the everything was so well. I mean, again, I'm, I almost glossed over her line of when she's saying, this is going to hurt so much and I'm going to enjoy watching it. And you're going like, holy fuck. <laughs> like, that was <laughs> it, that was phenomenal. Like there was everything about that scene, fantastic, absolutely fantastic. But we do have to move along. So I mean, you could say that about literally every scene in the movie. It's true. It is true. So they do get to Aunt May's, and this is where we have. It's not a reunion, but it's kind of a reunion of Peter with May. And they're not the each other's Peter and May. But as it is with also the comic books, there's still an affection. It's still there. And doesn't and, you say something along the lines of it took you long enough? Yeah, something along that side. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. But there there's a lot that's done there. And this is where she, of course, leads them into this Peter's quote unquote lab, which I love that. The yeah, I've, the buggy. I've got a oh, shit. Oh my god, I got so excited. <laughs> the spider buggy. Okay, Marty, you describe it. Uh so the spider buggy not the buggy, was, but the, the fucking garage. Oh, <laughs> uh, I want to describe the buggy. Describe I don't care the about the garage. I want the buggy. You know what, dude? I used to have funny. one of those. When I was a kid, I had a Spider-Man action figure, and I had that fucking buggy. And it had a net that it would throw over kind of thing. And it's, I don't know what the fuck ever happened to it. But I had that thing for years. It was my favorite toy. But go on. It, it's a, I think it was, a, well, so the cave is just uh, it's an underground layer with the containers of spider suits and the computer and Aunt May is there. And of course, the spider buggy. Was there another vehicle? Like, I seem to think there's like a spider bike. It was everything. That was some one of the things yeah. they put in the script, too. It's like, fill it with all the stuff from the shows, all the products, all the everything is in there. Which I kind of like, I, I'm skimming the, the script as we're talking, but I feel like that's a nod to Dan Slott, who added in his Spider Man run. He was like, yeah, we're going to have uh, all this crazy shit including the spider buggy. It's going to make an appearance. It's going to be pivotal. And it kind of was. Um, yeah. Anyway. 
But yeah, that's it's just one of those such stupid, absurd things that <laughs> it, every Spider-Man writer, director, what have you, from now until the end of time is going to be making Spider-Buggy references. Oh, yeah. Even after we've long forgotten what the Spider-Buggy was supposed right. to represent in the first place. Right. And the only thing I want is for more of a uh, reference of, like, when eventually we have a Johnny Storm somewhere for Johnny Storm to be making fun of Pete for having the spider buggy, because that's always fun too. Cause you know, Johnny has to make fun of somebody. So in the cave is where we also get our introduction to the other spiders that got sucked into this universe as well. So you have Spider-Man Noir voiced brilliantly by Nick Cage. That was another thing that I, they even said even in the, know it was Nick Cage. You did not No, I, it, it was I just light a match and let it burn. He was he was so <laughs> over the top with the character. I was just engrossed and loving it. And it wasn't until the end credits I went, "What?" Well, they yeah, actually that's, said that's they, the first Nick Cage performance I've enjoyed in twenty some years. He actually there's the, he talked about it when he was doing it, where he'd deliver a line, and they kind of were trying to critique him and tell him how to do it. And at one point, he says, "You basically want me to Nick Cage this," and they went, "Yes." And yeah, from that yeah. point on, it was brilliant. <laughs> like, the script even said, <laughs> Spider-Man Noir is lit with Venetian blind shadows, a black and white figure whose coat is inexplicably blowing around him. <laughs> because wherever he goes, the wind follows, and the wind smells like rain. <laughs> I just loved it. I loved it. Like, Spider-Man Noir is one of, you know, he's, he's great. But they talked about is rendered. Yeah, they talked about what was involved with the animation as well. Like, because he's all in black and white, every fucking frame he's in, they had to go in and do manually kind of thing yeah. throughout. Well, like, it created an insane amount of work for them. Well, they did that with all the characters. All If you look at every scene yeah. that the character is the only focus, and for anybody who hasn't watched this yet or has watched it and not really paid attention, pay attention to when, like, those Spider-Man are the sole character on the screen because the animation style for all of them shifts, whether it's in subtle ways, uh, like with, uh, why can I remember her name now? We Penny Parker. Yeah, when Penny, like, is on the screen, there's, like, this Pantone effect that goes through, and it's very, very subtle. But, like, if you have an HD screen, you can see all the little manga dots that are in the background, and that's fucking fantastic. Or, like, the Spider-Man Noir, or, you know, Spider-Ham, where everything takes on a little bit of a wibbly almost like hand-drawn, uh, not quite straight line. Well, feet. Looney Tunes. Yeah. And it was like, so great. It's oh. fantastic. And then you look at, like, even when even when Peter B. Parker is the only one, it's slightly different than when Miles or Gwen are the focus. And Miles and Gwen have the same sort of aesthetic going on. But it was just so well done, these subtle things. And again is is pretty much is the theme of this entire movie is subverting your expectations for these characters yes. and this story and every little bit here every little bit of soul that they put into it just reinforces that further and further like i remember walking out of the theater and i couldn't shut up about it like i'm sitting here talking with with renee about it on the car ride home and i'm like did you see this did you see this did you see this <laughs> and it's like and, and I said to her, I said, this makes me the happiest I've ever been because I literally could predict nothing going into it aside from, like, the major themes. 
but every little bit of minutia was new and fresh and exciting because it just took everything I expected, flipped it the fuck upside down, and gave me something I didn't even know I wanted. So we get Spider-Man Noir, we get Penny and, and Spider, which is the robot, and then we get also the... Spider-Gwen, this is where they do the triple flashback scenes with all of them kind of thing, which is, again, brilliantly done. Spider-Man Wiles, and I even wrote it down in the show notes because it's such a beautiful fucking life. Can you close off your feelings so you don't get crippled by the moral ambiguity of your violent actions? (laughs) It's like, oh, God. (laughs) But this is where they're trying to really get... Miles kind of worked up. This is where they're setting the scene for what has to happen because whoever remains, if they're not of that universe, they will die. And you can see that from the glitching kind of thing. So who has to close off this this portal and send them all home has to be Miles, but he's not ready. And they're trying to get him ready, but they're trying to get him ready the way that they were prepped. And that doesn't work with Miles. So Miles disappears and is trying to wrap his head around what is going on. And this leads to a scene at, once again, Uncle Aaron's. And this is where the the revelation is made that Aaron is actually the Prowler. And, and it freaks Miles out, who's invisible at the time, creates a fantastic scene. And then you have the chase scene where Prowler is chasing after quote-unquote Spider-Man, because he doesn't realize it's, it's his nephew. And then they head to back to Aunt May's once again, where shit goes horribly bad there. But once again, in a phenomenal way, you've got freaking, once again, Spider-Man Noir working on a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> 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 Which was brilliant. You've got Penny working on the new Goober. You've got uh, Aunt May, who's kind of walking around, quote-unquote, hosting all of these people. And then all shit breaks loose when the villains show up. And the villains being not just... uh, Actually, Prowler doesn't show up until later on. But you wind up having Doc Ock show up and the great, oh great, it's live line. You have Tombstone showed up, which he was shown a little bit earlier as well. Not in a, a huge role, but he was there. As well as a fucked up version of scorpion with a robotic mm-hmm. bottom kind of thing which looked cool as hell I, yeah that was so rad i love that there's a little asterisk whenever he talks and it says translated from spanish <laughs> <laughs> and then this phenomenal fight scene which leads to the the roof scene okay somebody else needs to talk so vince you take that roof scene yeah we this is where we get the 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 final well not final standoff but the the moment between Miles and the Prowler. And like you said, it's the revelation that we have later when Miles comes back and, you know, Uncle Aaron and Kingpin orders, you know, Prowler to, to do the deed. Hey, finish off the Spider-Man, do, do, do your job, do what I pay you for. And it's the, the double realization. Miles knows it's Aaron and Aaron finds out it's Miles and he can't do it, uh, which leads to the uh, the chase through the city, which ultimately ends up with the Prowler uh, dying. And that was that's our that's our you know Spider Man moment, uh, Miles's moment of yeah. loss, yeah. and compounded by of course police being involved in the chase, and of course Papa Jefferson being the one first one on the scene, 
And all he sees is Spider-Man over the dead body of his mm-hmm. own brother. And I actually like, because that was an interesting parallel to the original Ultimate Comics, where Jefferson blamed Spider-Man for the death of his wife. Because there was, I think it was either Venom or Carnage. It was Venom, because Carnage killed Gwen in that story, in that timeline. Uh, and that's where he had his own vendetta against Spider-Man in the comics. And then mirroring that here in the film through completely different circumstances and having the same story moment be, you know, Miles's moment of loss that such effective, efficient storytelling for a movie. I, I don't even know what the runtime was on this. It was what, like 80 minutes or something that they packed every single damn frame with so much story and so much importance and so much weight that it's it's a goddamn accomplishment. Uh, one hour, 56 minutes, by the way. That's actually really long for an animated movie. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It it's felt very efficient still. Well, well don't, I mean, it was very efficient, but, I mean, you look at it, they put their heart and soul in this because they didn't know if they were going to get a second shot at this because Sony has a nasty tendency of if something doesn't meet its expectations, no matter how ridiculous they are, that's it, it's done. So they put everything in the kitchen sink into this to make this fantastic, to do these little things and to be as efficient in that storytelling because ultimately they wanted to... This is my takeaway. I don't know if this is for sure or not, obviously. But it felt like they wanted to make sure that they told a complete story and gave these characters proper representation just in case they didn't get another swing at it. And I think that's where that effective, efficient storytelling comes in. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree completely. Then you have the fantastic scenes later on with Miles in his dorm once again, where basically Peter is saying, listen, it's it was my choice and I'll be the one to stay back so that I can send everybody because you're just not ready. And and it's it's very impactful and it has the same callbacks again to when Peter was trying to get him to to control his powers and he couldn't initially kind of thing. And you're getting those same moments where he's testing him saying, you know what? Free yourself from me right now. And he's holding him up and then we'll know you can do this. And of course he can't. So he, he kind of webs him to a, a chair, takes the goober and, and takes off with the other spiders prepared to sacrifice himself because that's what spiders always do kind of thing. But it leads to again, a very, original scene it, it not in terms of what is being said but in how it's being presented and you have jefferson showing up because he just lost his brother and yeah they had differences but for anybody who's had siblings and have had differences with them you understand it, it doesn't mean you don't love them you still do and it's impactful it's just you don't always get along kind of thing and and he's still feeling that pain he just lost his brother and so he wants to talk to miles but miles can't he's webbed a goddamn chair and so they have this this incredibly impactful convert one-sided conversation and and it was again as a father it was brilliant it, it was heartfelt it was you know Everything I would have said kind of thing. And then as somebody who can appreciate writing, it was like, oh, damn, this was well done. <laughs> like, this, <laughs> this was just all these little things throughout lead so beautifully to that moment where it's like, screw this. 
and it zaps the webbing off. It it didn't build from um, a needing to prove himself because of villains, needing to prove himself because he needs to be a better person. It none of that. It was because of that conversation with his father. It was because of what his father said. That's it moved him. It it, it was that push that he needed to then move forward. Flip the switch. Exactly. And which leads to one of the coolest cinematic moments that I've seen in a long time. And and I do this podcast. Yes, we haven't recorded for a while, but we started because we have such a love of film. We've seen a lot of movies. The scene of him falling up, because it's not falling down. That's something they write about in the script, too. It's a falling upwards. Mm-hmm. was so breathtaking on the screen, especially if you saw it in 3D. I, I can't stress that enough. Um, that scene was the best scene of the film. When he finally chooses to take that leap of faith and jumps off. And and again, I'm shortcutting here. The, the meeting with May, where he designs his own costume, Fucking brilliant. The 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 songs, the music, everything, brilliant. When he's standing at the top there, everything that's being said, everything that's that's that you're seeing those flashbacks, unbelievable. But when he jumps off and and you're expecting him to fall down, but he falls up because they flipped the camera, it that was Oh, it was gorgeous. Unbelievable. It, it, it wasn't just gorgeous, it was it was brilliant cinematography. It's the background of my computer right now. It's yeah. Tristan. As soon as he got home, found it, and that's his background as well. It's 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 and also the 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 little touch of the glass breaking. Which oh I yeah, mean, first yeah, of all, yeah. it's a great cinematic element. But then remembering of you know what does he have to do to let go? He has to relax. He's completely incapable of relaxing in this scenario. But this is such a powerful scene. Like whenever I'm having like kind of a shitty day and like. I'm just, you know, feeling kind of down. I just get my laptop, open up YouTube, and type in what's up danger. Yes. And three minutes later, I'm feeling better. Because, goddammit, if this little kid can do things, you know, I can. It's it's so powerful. Like, for... it, I I personally, like, I, I equivalent it to, like, the No Man's Land scene in Wonder Woman of the moment where a hero so many people have been waiting their lives to see brought to life on the screen is finally realized in such a fantastic way. And while I personally can't relate to being either a woman or a young black kid, I can still recognize how important that was because in both of those scenes, like I felt the emotion, like the, the empathy for the people who were experiencing it. And it was so unbelievably powerful every single time I see it. And then this, of course, leads us to the final scene at Fist Tower, the the memorial fund, as Joe mentioned there, which fucking brilliant, leading to all of the collider stuff at the bottom in the in the basement there. Not going to go into too much detail there because, once again, as per normal, I, I would like people to go in and have in some surprises because if you're not sold on this show after an hour and a half of us gushing, I, I don't know what to fucking say anymore. But the ending was just as amazing as the rest of the show. And that was, 
it wasn't something that I was worried about as I was watching, but I could have been. Because, again, a lot of these shows, you have so many cool things, and they do not stick that lining. I mean, you talked about Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman was so Oh, yeah, important. completely fell apart after yeah, that scene. So important. It had so much potential. It, so much of it was good, but then they did not stick the ending in any way, shape, or form. Whereas with this, brilliant throughout. Every single aspect of that ending was, in my opinion, absolutely perfect. Yeah, they stuck the landing. Unlike so many other things, they stuck the landing. So before we cut out for the night, then, we'll start with you, Marty. Any parting thoughts about anything throughout the film that you would like to discuss? This is not putting you on the spot. You knew you were going to be here. I I, So, oh, yeah, you're right. But I was hitting tab instead of... (laughs) So... Anyway, um, what I love about this movie is that they just capture the essence of why Spider-Man is important, regardless of its, if it's Spider-Gwen, Spider-Man Noir, Peter B. Parker from 616, or Miles. Like, Peter Parker, Peter Parker may have started something that he cannot control, or that Stan and, and Jack created a character that will live on and does so many great things. And now that we have more representation within the spiders, I think it's just such a good thing for Cape and Cowell collectors and and lovers of, of movies and of good story. I'm just so fucking thrilled that they pulled off something this ambitious and I'm still excited about it. It's funny because, um, like Joe was talking about earlier, how they, they threw everything in because you never know if they're going to get another chance. And we still don't really, even though it's been critically acclaimed and it has made money, uh, unless something's been recently announced, I had not heard about a sequel yet like, in the It world. took them four years to make this one. so yeah, It's going to take a while. But the thing is, is that I, I kind of look at these things a little differently now. And I don't know if it's age or, or, or just because there's so much media to consume nowadays that... I'm no longer looking at something and thinking, oh, I'm looking forward to the next spider whatever that they're going to do so much as I'm looking at this and saying, we have this. And I'm so glad we have it because it's perfect. I own it. I can watch it over and over and over again and and love it just as much every time. So so I I hope to hell something else is coming. But if not, we have this. And I'm so happy for that. So Joe, what about you? Uh, there's a two really th- kind of, at least to me, important things that I want to bring up. Um, I get, well, three, but before that, uh, I just linked it. There is confirmed that they are working on a sequel to Into the Spider-Verse and an all-female spinoff as well. Dude. <laughs> so I just linked it. I, I linked oh it. Oh my God. Actually, report. that was actually something that was in, oh shit, was it in Spider-Woman? But in the crossovers yep. for yeah. Spider-Verse, you had... Who was it? It was Spider Woman. I think it was Gwen, Jessica, Spider Gen- Gwen, Silk. Yes, and they all went on an adventure in another. Yep. You know, it was that was one of the crossovers that justifiably was actually really good and fun to to read. Yeah, so that's going to happen, and I'm grateful. Uh, but there are two really important things to me that happen in this movie. Uh, first is that when Miles gets his costume and and he's got his full costume on after he's spray painted the one that was originally meant for Peter. You might notice that throughout the rest of the movie, he was shorter than Peter by about a foot yet. The costume fit perfectly. There weren't tear lines or was anything like that. And it made me think of something earlier going back with Stan Lee, 
where Stanley, when he's giving him the the mm. costume, says, <laughs> "It always fits. It, it always fits eventually." And it's such a fucking powerful metaphor because that's life. It'll it'll fit eventually. And I thought that was absolutely just that was the moment for me when I saw him in that costume. I had that moment. I just started crying. Uh, the second thing is that in the after credit scenes where we actually, because one of the one of the other Spider-Man that I've always loved was 2099. Oh, and that post credits. <laughs> <Yep. laughs> and you can't have the multiverse without Spider-Man 2099 in the Future Foundation and the entire concept of stable transition between multiplanes. And that's exactly what they ended with. And it was like they gave you everything in the, the the base of the movie. It said it was a complete story. It was a full thing. You felt fulfilled watching it. But then after the credits, it's like, if we get another stab at this, we got something planned, motherfuckers. And they sure as shit do, and I can't bloody fucking wait. I love that at the end, in the script, they write that bit with Miguel at the end. And the script note at the end is... And we go out in pure chaos. This is where they're each pointing at each other. We go out in pure chaos, the most expensive dumb joke of all time. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Vince, what about you? Oh, God. It's it's not that there's nothing to say. It's that what can I say that hasn't already? Yeah. (laughs) It's... I feel that this is one of those like generational films where yeah. like, like the movies that we grew up with, we then wanted to share with, you know, our children or younger nieces, nephews, what have you. This is, I think this is going to be one of those movies that 20 years from now, someone's going to sit there, their little nephew or son or daughter down on the couch and like, okay, now we're going to watch this. And that, makes me so happy and really excited for the future of where we go from here because much like the generation that grew up watching the the pulp films in the 30s grew up to make Indiana Jones and Star Wars and the generation that grew up watching those movies are making the Avengers and Spider-Verse and whatnot seeing seeing what the kids who grew up with this can go on to in the future has me very excited. I absolutely adore that it is, that it was a miles uh, film. And, and I love that because it is, it's, it's important. I, I, I feel that's important when I'm watching with, with my kids, I don't want to just watch, not my kids, I should say my grandkids at this point. Uh, I don't want to just watch, films with a whole bunch of white people doing the same shit that we've seen over and over again. Mm -hmm. I want them to experience a breadth of diversity that is reflective of what is actually in the world. And so I love that we are getting these things. Like one of the other shows that Vince and I are planning on doing is See You Yesterday, which is that twist on uh, time travel, but put in such a different scenario because of how it's reflected with the reality of police brutality towards people of color. So here you have something that is, could have been the same origin story we've seen time and time and time again, but is different because it's shown through a different lens. 
And, and I want so much more of that, not just for myself, but for my kids, my grandkids, for, for everybody, so that we can break through so many layers of hate and fear because of what is not understood. I, and I know that's, that's blowing it way into this kind of rarefied air, but it's true. We need, we need this type of media out for everyone to consume so that it becomes the norm moving forward. So that, like you're saying, Vince, next generation of filmmakers are looking at that and saying, okay, well, how can I play with that kind of idea, but eh, a little bit differently kind of thing. And, and it, it does open up a, a world of possibility moving forward. So with that, we are going to call it a wrap for tonight. And to show you how fucking tight this show was, yes, we're over an hour and a half. I wanted to talk about Spider-Ham so much. I, I wanted to talk about Spider- <laughs> I could talk about Spider-Ham for a half hour. Mulaney Look. is my favorite comic out right now. He killed it at Spider-Ham. Every scene was phenomenal. The Rubik's Cube just was a joke that kept on giving. There's so much in this show. The, the stuff with Genki, the scene on the ceiling with all of them, like all of these things. So if there's one parting thought that I can give to folks is go buy this show. Don't, don't just rent it or whatever. Please, like, buy it. It's worth your money. If you're blind, buying the Blu-ray, the, uh, the special effects on it are, are not special effects, special features, I should say, are actually really good. Uh, They're we worth went, every penny. Oh, absolutely. Well, maybe except for the fart one. <laughs> Did you find the hidden one? There's a hidden one if you go to the special yeah. features and go up. Yeah. Although I will say my grandkids thought that was hysterical. <laughs> So yes, and they're the next generation. Exactly. Of <laughs> so yeah, buy the film, support it, so that we can get more of this. So with that, Joe, Marty, thank you so much for being on the show. We're going to be having you guys on a lot more. We've got some shows planned for the future. Now that we're not doing for the lore, we're going to be having these guys on all the time to talk about other shows and some of our other guests that we've had on for the lore as well. And so we've got like some Doom Patrol lined up. We've got some Star Trek. I've got some uh, Orville lined up. And there's just no end to the amount of shows that we want to cover moving forward. So thank you for joining us. Stop by popcornronin.com to see our show notes. And with that, we will see you, well, hopefully soon. Mm-hmm.